Hernandez. Welcome to another edition of Words on a Wire. Our special guest today is poet and memoirist and photographer as well, Claudia D. Hernandez. She's a poet, editor, translator, photographer, and bilingual educator born and raised in Guatemala. She holds an MFA in creative writing from Antioch University, Los Angeles, where she lives and works. And she's also the recipient of the Louise Merriweather First Book Prize for her wonderful memoir, it's a lyrical memoir titled Knitting the Fog. We'll be speaking with her about that book and about some of her other projects that she's got going on. Um, and that's coming up right now on Words on a Wire. Claudia Hernandez, welcome to Words on a Wire. Thank you for having me, Tim. I'm of course. <laughs> it's my pleasure. You know, I, we've been talking quite some time about your book and having you on the show. And then the pandemic hit, and then we kind of postponed a lot of things. So I'm really glad we finally made it, you know, we're able to make it happen. <laughs> um, Me too, I'm very glad. <laughs> good, good. One of the things I just want to remind our listeners is that, you know, this is the pandemic version of the show. We're not recording uh, from our studio, our KTEB studios, as we normally do. Um, I'm actually in my home here in El Paso, Texas, and Claudia is uh, calling us from her home in Los Angeles. Uh, am I, is that right, Claudia? That's correct. In the city of Southgate. City of Southgate. Oh, wow. Cool. Southgate. Cool. So, yeah. So, so um, if, if there's a little bit of cutting in and out, you know, forgive us. It's just that, that, that that's, that's why we're doing that. It's because we're not in the studios. That said, Claudia, I want to talk with you. I'm so excited to talk with you about your wonderful lyrical memoir, Knitting the Fog. Um, but before we do, why don't you kick us off with reading an excerpt from it for our listeners? Sure. I'll start with Little Devil. Cool. I was eight years old when I had my first communion in Taktik. My mom sent me a beautiful white dress from Los Angeles for this special occasion. I looked like a bride, ready to marry the first boy who tickled my stomach with the blink of his eye. The truth was I was terrified by the undeniable scent of the incense that oozed through the cracked adobe walls of the church. Each wall was filled with effigies resembling people that didn't look anything like us. The crucified Jesus Christ at this church was light-skinned, unlike the black Christ resting in Shishim's temple, located on a hill 20 miles, 20 minutes from Taktik. All the saints in Taktik's church had European features, tiny noses with thin lips. Unlike my sisters and I, and most of the indigenous people in town, only the Ladinos, who were half Indian and half Spanish, or from German descent, were far complexioned and had hazel or blue eyes. My skin was pale compared to Consuelo and Cindy's, but I still had my Mayan nose, dark almond eyes, and big lips. Consuelo's nose was just like mine, except she had bushy eyebrows. Cindy had dark, curly hair and a dark complexion. Listening to the dramatic songs and prayers that echoed along, the organ chords shattered my composure. Then I remember why I had been so excited to do my first communion. I wanted to taste the famous wafer after mass. I wanted to form a long line in the middle of the pews and pretend to be a virtuous girl. I wanted to be like most people in town, good citizens. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Mm. A few minutes before the ceremony, Mama Toya reminded me that everyone in Taktik was a devoted Catholic. We had no choice but to do our confirmation. As Mama Toya covered my face with the, the transparent veil, she asked me, are you ready to confess your sins to Padre Alfredo? What sins, I asked. I felt my face burn with my big fat lie. Before you receive 
receive communion, you have to confess everything to Padre Alfredo so that he can absolve you from your sins. Then you can enjoy the wafer, she said. What's absolved, I asked. He forgives all your travesuras, she said, smiling. I wanted to cry. How could I tell Padre Alfredo my secrets, my sins? I realized that I was never going to taste the famous wafers that melt in your mouth. That's how my older friends described it. I never understood why some people simply sat on the pews instead of forming line to get communion. On that day, things began to make sense. They probably had too many painful secrets to confess to Padre Alfredo. I sat quietly on one of the pews to gather my memories, good and bad, behind my veil before proceeding to the confessional booth. I'm going to stop there. Wow. If you're just tuning in, this is Words on a Wire, and we're speaking today with author, uh, poet, memoirist, Claudia Hernandez, about her wonderful new memoir uh, titled Knitting the Fog, and that's what she just read an excerpt from. So the book, it's a uh, described as a lyrical memoir, but it's, it's about your family's um, life and experience in Guatemala, and then the kind of the transition between when you were there, how life was there, you know, coming into the United States and that journey. But it's all told through the eyes of a rather innocent young Claudia, coming of age Claudia. Um, is I mean, is that a fair description of the book, would you say? Or it is, it or is. How, would you, how would you describe it? All through narratives and poems about my life in Guatemala from seven to 10 when my mother left. Right. She had to leave us behind when she left my dad, who right. was, you know, who was abusive. And Three days, three years later, she came back for us, her three daughters, to take us on a journey that lasted almost a month crossing right. the river. So, yes. And then also assimilating here once we arrived here in the United States, how to assimilate to the Mexican culture and the white culture. And yeah, that's pretty much right. it. And I really love that that the book is i mean you you are a poet you know and and obviously the po besides the the obvious poems that are inside of this book as well on um, the narrative poems you know even even the prose itself really reads um poetically and I, and i'm just a big fan of that you know um obviously i think i mean i'm a poet too so i i just really adhere to that um but like one of the lines that you just read um i loved it so much and i'm glad you read this excerpt because when i read it the first time as i was reading your book it, it just jumped out at me the first boy i was ready to marry the first boy who tickled my stomach with the blink of his eye <laughs> that's that's so precise it's so detailed um and the whole book is written in that with that kind of um approach you know really careful meticulously observed through the eyes of a young uh, Claudia coming of age, but also obviously through the eyes of a of a of a learned poet, you know. Um, so yeah, so props to you for that. It's just a great. It's wonderfully written. I love this book for that reason. Thank you so much. Thank you. How long? How long had you been working on this book before it was finally published? It took me nine years to get this nine. book. Nine. Nine years. Wow. I started writing these stories in my mid twenties. The narrative essays. Mm -hmm. And not the intention of writing a book, just, you know, I, but just letting it out, just writing, being creative, writing my stories down. And eventually in my early thirties, when I started publishing poetry, you know, and then I went to, I, 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 I applied for my, my MFA. Mm -hmm. This is what I turned in as a thesis, oh. the narrative stories and the poetry combined together, like, and what made you think? Um, what made you think to construct this book or this manuscript and these 
disparate pieces you had as a memoir, right? I mean, because you could have turned this very easily into a book, a collection of poetry, maybe, you know, but but what what would made what was the choice to go in the direction of memoir? Because the the stories themselves, they were very personal. They were about my life. And mm-hmm. I didn't have, I didn't write a book where everything goes in line from beginning to middle to end. Right. I just had stories, memories that I remembered. And eventually when I wrote certain poems, I was able to put those poems in the gaps in between stories mm. that made sense that made it come all come together. You know right. what I mean? I do. Yeah, I do. And it works very well because like, for example, um, I don't know where it's at. It's somewhere in this book though, but there's a section where you're talking about, you know, your experience of coming across, you're actually chronicling that experience of your family crossing, uh, getting into the little boat, crossing this big perilous river. Um, but then like shortly after that, I want to say it was right after that chapter, you have a poem that kind of acts and even looks like a broad you know, the way you described through as a little girl, the river being so big and immense, then suddenly yeah. there's this poem that stretches across these two pages and it's big and immense also. And it describes that, that sort of in a very almost fragmented, surreal way, it describes that journey. It is because let me tell you something. When I was growing up in Mayuela, because I grew up in Tactic and Mayuela, two different towns. In Mayuelas, I used to go to the river every day. That right. It always followed me. And once I came here to the United States, the river always follows me. Water always follows me. So oh. I wrote a poem that's called The River Never Happened to Me. And another poem that's called The River Never Happened to Us, like a, that's connected to that poem. Uh, Would you like yeah. to read it? Yeah, yeah, please. Absolutely. Share it with the listeners. Okay. The River Never Happened to Me. I used to walk half a mile from Tia Soila's house to the river. I bathed in it, pretending not to know how to swim. I was eight, breathing, eating the constant heat of Mayuelas. The river was my biggest alibi. Its muddy path was crowded with pumice rocks, verdant ceiba trees, and buried mango seeds. I came across floating mango pits, cracked open, their flesh consumed to the bone. No one noticed their nakedness floating by or sinking to the bottom of the river. I bathed in the river, hoping to rescue those seeds from drowning alone. On my way back home, I jumped from rock to rock, trickling river and mango seeds everywhere. By the time I reached the Azuela's house, I was dry, as if the river never happened to me. And it continues with the second poem that's titled, The River Never Happened to Us, which is my experience of migrating to the United States. Right. And I love that you actually, I have to say this briefly, that this is placed in the center of the book. And then you go from a poem that you just read on one side of the page, and then you have to turn. And then on the other side, it lands this other poem. Across, right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Beautiful. The river never happened to us. We walked more than a thousand miles to get to the other side of the Rio Bravo, guided by the coyotes howl. We didn't bathe in the river. Instead, We floated like thin paper boats, tanned by the sun. I don't remember caressing the surface of any pumice rock. I stuck my fingers between cottonwood crevices, their trunks rooted on opposite sides of the river. We were bound to eat desert wind. I was 10. When we reached the other side, we hid behind bushes. Quietly, we sank slowly in the mud. When the coyotes signaled, we walked. No, we ran and our knees shed broken pieces of mud. No one drowned in the river. No one had to be resuscitated from the mud. 
yet we continue to trickle shards of mud as if the river had never happened to us. Yeah, lovely. Thank you for sharing those poems. Um, and if you're just tuning in, this is Words on a Wire, and we're speaking with memoirist and poet Claudia Hernandez, D. Hernandez, with about her, about her wonderful new uh, book, Knitting the Fog, uh, which was the recipient of the Louise Merriweather First Book Prize. How did that happen? You just heard about the prize and submitted it? And yeah, that's exactly what I did. I heard about the prize, and I thought, let me submit my stories. I, and I wasn't sure, you know, because I had combined the, the narrative essays with the poems, and I, had, I didn't think of doing that. I just did it. Right. So when I submitted eight or nine months later, they sent me an email saying that I was a finalist. And to me, just being a finalist was enough. I thought, wow, somebody validated my work. Right. And right. months later, they told me the good news that I had won the prize. So. That's great. Wow. And how did you feel in that moment when you got I the was, news? I was, I cried. I, yeah. I never thought that my work was going to get out there. I mean, my family story, my history, it, it's just, yeah. it, it's an amazing journey. Yes. Yeah, it is. And as you said, it's validating in some way to the work you do and to the life you live, your experiences, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I want to talk a little bit about the, the women in your stories, um, you know, the, aka the, well, also the women in your lives, you know. <laughs> um, the women in here are obviously portrayed very strong, very strong women, not just emotionally strong, but physically strong as well, despite that that physically they're they're small in stature you know uh but, or, or very least, yeah very short <laughs> at, at least when you describe them that's how they seem in my mind and yet they're very they're, strong yeah. physically strong as well you know um there's a moment where you uh i think where it's your tia soila i believe who says to you uh, maybe it's maybe it's when you guys are leaving i'm not sure but she says to you at some point your mother was raised in the streets and that's why she's tough she tells you that as a little girl and then there's a moment where your mom beats up another woman. And then there's a moment where your tia Soila has uh, some teeth that are bothering her. She pulls them out herself. Like, you know, what I mean? there's some really we take uh, care of business. <laughs> taking care of business. That's it. You know, so I love that. And I love I loved I, I like, you know, we've talked about this before when I spoke with you prior that that I can vividly see these women um, in the books. Like they leap out into my imagination. And um, they're just amazing characters, you know, on the page. Obviously, they're folks in real life. They're your mother and your tia. How did they receive, I mean, have they read the book for one? And for two, how did they receive the, your portrayal of them? Okay, so the book is in English and my family, they don't speak English. My mom doesn't speak English. She can't read English. Only my two sisters read the book. And right. they took it. They cried when they read the book. And they, they heard my side of the story, the way mm -hmm. I internalized right. the abandonment, the domestic violence everything that we, all three of us saw, but we all saw it in different, from different lenses, you right, know? Right. And so only my two sisters have read the book and my mother, I just tell her stories. You know, I, by the way, mom, I shared that story about you beating up Euphemia, how you, you ended up in jail and I ended up sleeping in jail with you that night, right. spending the night. And she just laughs, but she's, she's embarrassed at the same time. Like she doesn't want to meet anybody that has read the book because she's ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... She's a completely different lady now. But right, she yeah. Sure. She was visceral. She was totally. strong and she just wouldn't let herself from anybody, not even from my dad. You know, whenever right. they had physical fights, yeah. my mom was beating him up as well, you know? And I was <laughs> like, oh my goodness, my mom isn't, you know, she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, she comes across that way. And maybe, yeah, and I'm sure under the conditions that you describe in the book, in Guatemala, you know, uh, one would have to be that tough, you know. Yes. Um, 
And um, I get that from my grandmother, who's exactly like my mother, my tia Soila, who's softer, but strong and gentle. She's, she's a little different, but she's right. still, she has that strength, that resilience. Right, right. right. So um, one of the things I wanted to ask you, you mentioned uh, your, your MFA, uh, you know, you went to Antioch uh, University there in Los Angeles, and, you know, you got your MFA from that writing um, program. It's a fantastic program uh, and a lot of wonderful writers, you know, teach there and also uh, come out of there. Um, and, you know, I couldn't help but feel like, you know, this, because your memoir, as even though it's called a lyrical memoir, considered a lyrical memoir, you know, you do, obviously, it seems that you're unafraid to introduce these different forms or to con to cross-pollinate the different forms, you know. The genres, exactly. That's that's the word. I'm, I'm looking for them. I'm drawing a blank here. Genres, yes. <laughs> yes, you're cross-pollinating genres hybrid in a hybrid way, you know, um, creating not not just that the not just that the memoir portions are lyrical, but then you're introducing poetry right in the middle of that, introducing even testimony at some point. It feels like testimony that's in there um by by the dialogue and all that that you're creating here. I'm wondering how did that uh come about for you? Because I, you know, my sense is that for a lot of us writers, um, it almost feels like we need permission to cross those genres before. Uh, and so people will often sway us to, to writing only poetry or only prose. But in your case, you just went for it. So how did that come about? I think the fact that I crossed a border when I was 10 years old, that gave me such a strength within mm -hmm. me that I don't really ask for permission to do things. I just do them. And if it works out, it works out. If people don't like it, then it's okay. Yeah. But it resonated with some people at the feminist press and they actually, you know, they published my book and it's out there now. So I think just crossing borders, crossing genres, like it's instilled in me. It's, yeah. it's that's how I work in my mind because yeah. that's how I do it too. When I write poetry, sometimes I write it in Spanish. And then I translate it into English yeah. or vice versa. I write it in English and then I translate it into Spanish. But I, I, I play with both. Yeah. I think of what the poet, former U.S. poet laureate Juan Felipe Herrera said that, and I'm totally paraphrasing here, but I know in one of his books, he says something to the effect that um, poetry offers us a way to, a, a way to live life. Like poetry offers us a way to, to, you know, to go about living. Um, and I think of that. And whenever I, I when I read that of his work, I, I automatically thought, well, it's about crossing boundaries. It's about exploring, thinking outside of the box, exploring other possibilities and having permission to do that. And maybe for me, that's what his quote meant was it offers us a way to look at life from another perspective. Um, what you're saying sounds to me like it's coming from the other side of that fence, which is um, the way I lived my life offered me a way to explore that in the writing, yes. you know, a way that I, the way that I was able to physically cross boundaries and borders is the way that I look at my writing now. That's exactly what it, yeah, that's exactly how I see it. Right. I, I can't, I don't know, I just, it, I don't know what to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this. What was the hardest part of the process of writing these stories for you? The hardest part was confessing certain secrets talking about things that happened to me as a young girl that I thought I would never share with anybody. There's, there's a secret here in this book that I have never told my mother. And this book might get, it's going to get translated in Guatemala. Wow. And 
It's going to be out there in right. standards. My mom is going to be able to read it eventually. Wow, congratulations. So thank you. I'm just terrified that how she's going to react to that secret. And the fact that I was able to put it out there, it kind of liberated me. Right. It, it, I was able to let go of the past to just keep moving forward and, and just being, you know? Right, right. And that's, that's how my poetry is. My poetry is confessional. Mm -hmm. My writing is confessional. And this, this is what this book is. It's, it's my life right. as a young kid growing right. up in borders. Right. And in that process, we tend to discover, I think a lot of my writing is, comes from that same place also. It's pretty confessional. I mean, the exception of probably the last couple of books, but even that, I guess in all writing we do it, it to some degree, it maybe is it's confessional it tells us, reveals something about us. And, and, really the and the degree of which we're revealing, maybe that varies the degree of what, how much we're revealing of ourselves, but in everything, even in fictional characters, we write, there's something being revealed about who we are. And, um, you know, for me, I think that that this that's one of the things that I resonated with the most and, and memoirs in general, but specifically in yours, because as a poet writing memoir, um, there's something I feel like uh, you're able to tap into. And that's not not just the power of your own narrative, but also the power of language that you're using to to investigate your own narrative, to investigate your life, you know, um, the way a poet would. For me, that that was, you know, one of the things that really drew me to your book. I want to also say, I want to kind of turn the corner a little bit here. Um, we're, we've got a, we've got a few more minutes still left, but I want to turn a corner. And I want to talk a little bit about, you know, how this idea of uh, writing, uh, well, your own, your own, uh, you know, story, but also writing about the strong women in your life um, is also turned toward um, oral testimony, oral history, right? Because you have another book also, I think it's titled Revolutionary Women and Visions. Women of color. Yeah, Revolutionary right. Women of Color. Mm -hmm. Women of Color, right, okay. And and it's an oral history project. I call that, that's the movement that I oh. created. Yeah. Okay, tell us about that project, because it's a book oh, and a project. Yeah. Yes, so it's a project that I founded in 2012 when I was in a really bad relationship and that project practically <laughs> saved my life because it inspired me to surround myself by powerful resilient women who do amazing right. things for their communities. They were artists, teachers, um, poets, writers. And I was able to photograph these women. And as I photographed them, I asked them to share a story of resilience, anything that they had been through in their life. And I collected all those stories and I put them together in a photography book mm -hmm. with, with their stories. Right. And that book is called Women, Mujeres y Shok, Revolutionary Visions. And that book actually won in 2019 the National International Book Award. Wow, I didn't know that. Congratulations. Man, that's great. I, I knew of the book. I didn't know that it received that award, but I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that it, was, that it got that. Thank you. And, and yeah, and you know, that's one of the things. In fact, one of the women, I believe, if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, that you interviewed was one of my own maestras, Juan Alicia. Yes, Juan Alicia. I interviewed her at her. I went to her house. Yeah. I met her. I met with her, and she did an amazing interview in Spanish. Be yeah. Her beautiful Spanish came across so clear and important and so powerful. It. Yes. She's amazing. Sorry, there was a phone in the backdrop there. We'll edit that part out. But yes, she is amazing. In fact, you know, um, meeting her changed changed the trajectory of of the way I saw myself as a 
the way I saw my business as an artist, um, because I worked with her for most of 1999 on a mural in San Francisco. I was her apprentice for a little while. That's awesome. And, and, you know, and what's strange is I told her at the time, you know, I'm, I'm a writer. I mean, she knew that I painted also and I was an artist, but that's why she hired me. But, but I, I, but I was also then required to write a lot when I was with her. So it was interesting. And it, she just, she's such a strong, intelligent woman, powerful woman in the community, generous woman and a generous teacher. Um, yeah, I can't say enough good things, but I imagine that's probably all the women that, that are, that are in your book that you've interviewed. Yes. Women, just like her, I would sit down with them and meet with them at their house, at the park, wherever I would drive to their houses and I would photograph them and talk about their lives and everything they've been through and how they overcome, how they overcame all their struggles. And it was just listening to all those stories during that time of my life yeah. was critical. It was critical right. in the, in the whole project, the whole, it took me, I interviewed more than 50 women. Wow. And everything's online on my website or okay. to the revolutionary women of color .com or on okay. my YouTube channel. They could find the interviews there for each woman. Awesome. And, yeah. In the so great, Claudia. Yeah. That's so great. Um, and well, you know, we're fans of your work, of course. We have a couple of minutes left. Would you be willing to read us maybe one of the smaller excerpts to take us out with? Um, yes, I'm going to read Knitting the Fog. That's yeah. a poem that I wrote in Spanish. Yes. And I translated it into English. Knitting the fog. Barefoot when immigrates to foreign lands. There are those who do not forget. Those who interweave their motherland into their soul. The soil knows no border, murmur the splinter feet. Their footprints, deep rooted, radiate with nostalgia. There are warm soils that at times become frozen. Golden fields that blurred with fog. There are volcanoes that expel rocks of pumice, and I'm over here spitting ash from afar. The soil knows no border, moans the green forest. The exile tree cannot prevent its seed from flourishing. It is the wind who drags it to foreign lands where inevitably propagates. And I want to read this poem in Spanish because I wrote it first in Spanish, so it's very meaningful. And this is how I titled my book too, my memoir, Tejiendo la Niebla. Descalzo uno emigra a tierras extrañas. Hay quienes no olvidan. Hay quienes ensartan su patria en el alma. La tierra no tiene fronteras, murmuran los pies reventados. Las huellas que implantan transmiten nostalgia. Hay tierras calientes que a veces se enfrían. Hay campos dorados que tejen la niebla. Hay volcanes que arrojan sus piedras de pomo. Y uno aquí, escupiendo cenizas en la lejanía, La tierra no tiene fronteras, suspira la arboleda. Mm. El árbol exiliado no logra evitar que su fruto florezca. Es el viento que arrastra la almendra y la hace que engendre en tierras ajenas. So, and that, um, and that is the, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, this is the title that I used for the book because I thought it was appropriate with, with all the troubles in my life and all the things that my mother and my grandmother went through and how everything you can't really fix those problems at times, you know, Right. but you try. And I think knitting the fog, it's, it's something that you can't reach that. It's not possible. It's not possible, but it's, it's there, you know? Right. 
Right, absolutely. And with that, uh, listeners, we have been speaking with memoirist and poet Claudia Di Hernandez about her wonderful lyrical memoir, Knitting the Fog. That's what she read from just now. Um, Claudia, you know, we're fans of yours here at Words on a Wire. And of course, I'm a fan of yours, uh, of your work, and we're looking forward to everything you put out. So congratulations on your success. And, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you for having me, Tim. It's been it was a pleasure. pleasure. Okay, take, take care. You too. And that wraps it up for this edition of Words on a Wire. I'd like to thank our wonderful guest, uh, author, poet, uh, memoirist, Claudia Di Hernandez. Be sure to pick up her book, Knitting the Fog. It's just a really fantastic lyrical memoir. Also want to thank our wonderful producer, Di Wu. And also thank you all listeners as well. Thank all of you. Uh, tune in next week, same time, same place, right here on KTEP 88.5 FM.